from the book of Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter. We're reading the conclusion of the book, beginning in verse 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. Let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's word. Not only was the teacher wise, he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find out just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to each of our hearts this day. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your word, your word which is truth, and who has called us to engage in the study of that word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would now sweeten this word in our hearts and lives, that together we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made, that we might more enjoy the calling that you have given to us, and that we might honor you more along the path. Praying in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, uh, wisdom and fear seem to go together in our minds. Sometimes it's wise to be afraid. Uh, Sometimes fear can play a beneficial role in our lives. Well, there are three books in the Old Testament that we call wisdom books. Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. And all three of these books have fear as the main theme. But it's not the kind of fear that we might normally think of. It's the fear of the Lord that is the main theme of Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. Uh, Think, for example, Proverbs 1. We've studied that text in the past. Uh, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The introduction to the book of Proverbs ends by talking about the fear of the Lord. Or you might think about the book of Job. How does it start? Uh, There was a man in Uts, and his name was Job. And here's a man who feared God and kept his commandments. He turned away from evil. So like, like Proverbs, Job starts with this idea of the fear of God. And now we've come to the end of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes says, when you draw the bottom line, here it is, fear God and keep his commandments. The fear of God is the dominant theme that makes all three of these wonderful books in the Old Testament hang together. Now, this morning we're finishing a short three-part series on the book of Ecclesiastes. And we've looked so far at two of the major themes in Ecclesiastes. And the first one, obviously, is vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. And we've seen how that means that life can be frustrating and life can be perplexing. 
which is kind of the background for the second theme where, where the teacher, the preacher, Kohelet, commends to us finding joy and satisfaction in life, even in the middle of stuff that is perplexing and frustrating. And this morning we come to the conclusion, and we don't have to wonder uh, what the conclusion to the book of Ecclesiastes is all about because the author tells us. He says, here's the conclusion, fear God. So that's going to be our last uh, sermon in this short series, uh, Fearing God Throughout Life. We're going to be looking at uh, just a couple of things. Uh, although I read 9 through 14, our text is just those last two verses, the conclusion of the book, uh, Fear God by Keeping His Commandments. Now, let's just look at two things with regard to these two verses. And the first one might sound a little bit odd, but it's important to see. You really have one command at the end of the book. Now, it sounds like you have two commands, doesn't it? Fear God and keep his commandments. But this really is only one commandment. Uh, Without going into all the stuff that I love in terms of Hebrew grammar, uh, there's just a little word, and. It's the equivalent of and in Hebrew. Fear God and keep his commandments. But sometimes this little word in Hebrew doesn't mean and as in joining one thing to another. Sometimes this word that is translated and really means that is, i.e. Fear God. That is, what do you mean by fear God? I mean keep his commandments. It's explanatory. In other words, we don't have two commandments, fear God and keep his commandments. We have one commandment. Fear God, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is keep his commandments. You have one command here, to fear God by keeping his commandments. Now, fearing God is more than keeping the commandments of God. Uh, A while back, we were doing a series on wisdom, and we talked about what the fear of God is. And we saw that the fear of God has three components to it. To fear God has a a cognitive, a mental, a thinking part to it. To fear God is to know God. You cannot fear God if you don't know who he is and what he has done. And the way the, the book of Proverbs in particular uses the fear of God is with this idea of knowing God, fearing God, the knowledge of God. To fear God is to know God. There's a mental, intellectual, thinking part of the fear of God. But in addition to that, there's kind of an emotional part. The fear of God is, there's an emotional, heart, affective dimension. The more you know about God, the more you stand in awe of who he is and trust him. That's the second component of the fear of God. The second component is to stand in awe of God. As we sing, our God is an awesome God. Uh, To stand in awe of God. The more you know God, the more you stand in awe of Him. And the more you stand in awe of Him, the more you put your trust in Him, which shows us that fearing God and being afraid of God are not the same thing. Because the only reason why you're afraid of somebody walking down the street is because you do not what? It starts with T. You don't, you don't trust them. That's why you're afraid of them. 
you're afraid because you don't think they're going to be in this encounter for your good. But in the Bible, fearing God and trusting Him go together. So fearing God can't mean being afraid of God. It means standing in awe of Him, which is why some of our modern translations go away from the word fear and they go toward the word reverence. To revere God. To stand in awe of God. So to fear God means to know Him. And the more we know Him, the more we stand in awe of Him and put our faith in Him. But then there's that third component that we looked at. The fear of God is also volitional. Now, if you do something voluntarily, you do it by an act of whose will? Your own. You do it voluntarily. Volition has to do with will. Um, that always reminds me of my son when he was going, when he was first in the military and he had gone, he, he had passed this test that meant that he was going to be a linguist and we, we, he signed up for either Arabic or Chinese. And then he said he was voluntold that he was going to do Chinese. So he, he kind of volunteered, but he didn't really volunteer. He was voluntold what he was going to do. Well, by the way, it, it, it's remarkable to me. Talk, talk about standing in awe. Um, he, my youngest son is a father now. And, um, you know, grandparents, you'll get this. Uh, they live on Oahu, and it has nothing to do with the fact that they live on Oahu. But next week, my wife and I have to go visit our grandson, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just a perk that it happens to be in Hawaii. But they're not going to be in Hawaii long. The other reason they're going is we're kind of helping them as they're in transition. And my son and his uh, wife are both military, and they've been voluntold to go to Texas. So they're, they're heading to San Antonio. And, um, I mean, I, we, we've visited them a couple of times in Hawaii, and, and it is paradise. If, if you've ever been there or if you haven't, I mean... The, the climate is perfect. The setting is perfect. It just is paradise. And it's also a long, long way away for grandparents. Yes or yes? Too far for grandparents from their grandson. So, I mean, San Antonio is like perfect uh, because uh, Des is in, her family's in San Diego. Uh, first thing they did, well, first thing I did when they said they were moving to San Antonio, I said, you've got to get a Southwest credit card. Uh, southwest from Orlando to San Antonio, southwest from San Antonio to San Diego to visit Des's family. And uh, so we're glad that they're going to be a little bit uh, closer. And um, they're, they're, the, my grandson's name is Joel, and Des put on Facebook, I think I misnamed him. Everybody's calling him Joel. <laughs> I said, listen, that's temporary. When you get no Texan is going to take a look at him and say, well, that's a Joel. All Texans are going to know that's Joel, so that's a temporary problem. So why I'm talking about that, I have no idea. Really, none, none at all. I got there somehow, but I don't think I can even backtrack to find out how, so I'm just going on to the next thing I have to say here. But you see, to, to fear God is to know him. Maybe it'll come back. To, to stand in awe of him and to trust him. And, oh, I know, Mark and voluntold. They've been voluntold to go to Texas. See, there was a reason for that little excursus. 
Uh, voluntary, act of the will. To, to fear God is to do what God says. Fearing God's more than keeping the commandments. Fearing God is knowing him, standing in awe of him, trusting him, and keeping the commandments. But keeping the commandments is the focal aspect of fearing God, which is why the text doesn't say fear God and know him, or fear God and stand in awe of him, or, but it does say fear God by keeping his commandments. The fear of God is the focal point. Uh, keeping the commandments is the focal point of the, of the fear of God. Why? Well, how can you say you love God whom you haven't seen if you're not loving your neighbor who you see every day? See, how do you know that you, how do you know that you really know God? How do you know that you really stand in awe of God? It's the keeping of the commandments. See, the keeping of the commandments makes visible the invisible. The keeping of the commandments is external. And it, it, makes, it makes on the outside show up what's on the inside. When you keep the commandments of God, you're showing on the outside that you really do know God. When you keep the commandments, you're showing on the outside that awe. And that faith that is on the inside, doesn't James say, I'll show you my faith, how? By what I do. I'll show you that I know God, how? By keeping the commandments. I'll show you that I stand in awe of God, how? By keeping the commandments. I'll show you that I trust God, how? By keeping the commandments. The keeping of the commandments is the focal point of the fear of God, which is why the text says, here's the conclusion, fear God by keeping his commandments. To fear God by keeping his commandments. See, one command, and this one command is the, it's, it really is the logical conclusion of the book. Have you ever been listening to somebody make kind of an argument and then they come to the conclusion, you say, well, I, I don't get how the, the conclusion really connects with everything they've just said up to this point. But, but fearing God really is the conclusion of the book, not just the last thing tagged on, but everything that, that the book has been leading to is this point. It's the logical conclusion. It, it's been mentioned a number of times throughout the book but in fact, fearing God is one of the conclusions already drawn from the vanity of life. What should you do when you're perplexed? What should you do when you're intensely frustrated? Well, what the book of Ecclesiastes says is, fear God. You see, it's not always for us to understand, is it? We do not always understand what God is doing in our lives. Well, let me take a little bit of the burden off your shoulders. God doesn't expect you to. After all, God is infinite and you're finite. He doesn't expect you to, to understand everything that he's doing in your lives. And he doesn't expect your lives to be frustration free. But he does expect you to always keep his commandments. See, Deuteronomy says the secret things belong to the Lord, 
but the revealed things belong to us and to our children. And so one of the best things that you can do when life gets frustrating and life gets perplexing and you can't figure out who God is and what God is doing is just to say to yourself, what's the one thing that I can do right now in the keeping of the commandments of God? Uh, I forget the name of the book, but um, after Jim Elliott died, uh, uh, Elizabeth Elliott wrote a book. And she, in this book, she was talking about how, like, how perplexed she was and, and how disoriented she was. And this has really helped my wife and me over the years. She said, the, point, the time came when the only thing I could do was to put the next foot forward. I didn't know where two steps were going to be, but I knew where the next one was to go down, and I could do that. Sometimes life is perplexing. Sometimes life is frustrating. What do you do about it? Put the next foot forward. You can do that much. In faith, in obedience, put the next foot forward. You see, God transcends the vanity of life. Vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. Does anybody remember where that is true? There's a three-word phrase that keeps reoccurring in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's all vain where? Under the sun. Well, Ecclesiastes 5.2 says, you're on earth, but God's in heaven. And if God's in heaven, where is God not? He's not under the sun. And vanity of vanities is under the sun. God is not under the sun. God is in heaven. God is not subject to the perplexing and the frustrating. God is never perplexed. He knows what he's doing. God is never frustrated. I grew up in a church. I love the church I grew up in. I was converted there. But in hindsight, it's not quite straight down the line with some of its teaching. We had a church paper, and uh, this was kind of like free will on steroids. <laughs> there was actually a, somebody who wrote in our denominational paper, and he said, we may sing that Jesus never fails, but if we're consistent with our theology, Jesus sits in heaven frustrated, wringing his hands because he's trying to save people that just won't come. I love my church. Uh, uh, wonderful people. When my father passed away, the way these people took care of my mother shows me that they fear God. I didn't have to wonder whether they feared God. I could see it in how they took care of my mother. And some of their theology is a little strange. That's just the way. Okay, so I'm a little bit perplexed. Right? How is it that you can have kind of strange theology at times, and yet you're doing everything that you're supposed to do? But guess what? Even though I'm perplexed about it, who's not? God's not perplexed. And trust me, Jesus is not sitting in heaven frustrated. He's in heaven. He's above the under the sun sphere. He's not subject to the frustration of life. And because he's up there, he's in control of all of life. Remember 7.14 in Ecclesiastes, when times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that people will fear him. 
God's not only above the vanity, he's in control of it. That in and of itself can be perplexing to us, but it's not perplexing to him. God transcends the vanity of life. God controls the vanity of life. God does everything so that people will fear him. Ecclesiastes 3.14, everything that God is doing, you might not be able to figure out it all in detail, but Ecclesiastes says, no matter what God is doing in your lives, whether you can understand it or not, he's doing it so that you'll know him better. So that you will stand in awe and trust him more. And so that you will grow in your keeping of his commandments. Everything that God does, he does so that people will walk in the fear of the Lord throughout life. So you have one command. Fear God by keeping his commandments. And this really is the conclusion of the book. It's not just tagged on at the end. It's the logical conclusion. Since life can be frustrating, and since life can be perplexing, there's really only one thing to do in those situations, and that's put the next foot forward in faith and obedience to the God who is in control of all of life's circumstances. You have one command. Now, the second thing that we see in these last two verses is that you have two reasons for keeping this command. And and the reason isn't because... I said so. Now, sometimes, mom and dad, we use that one, don't we? And sometimes it's the best reason to give because the other reasons, they won't, they, they won't register. But Ecclesiastes doesn't say, fear God by keeping his commandments because I, I said so. He actually gives you two reasons, two motivations for keeping the command. The first one is the command applies to everyone. Now, I read this morning from the uh, New International Version, which says, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Or to put it another way, this applies to everyone. If you're reading the ESV, it says something a little bit different, doesn't it? It says, for this is the whole duty of man. And those are two different ideas. The one idea is that fearing God applies to everyone, the NIV. The other idea is that the fear of God sums up what you individually are supposed to do with your life. Either it applies to everyone or it's a summary of your responsibility. Now, if you're reading the ESV, here's what I want you to do. I want you to see that little footnote at the end of the phrase and go down to the bottom of the page. And when you look at the footnote and you go down to the bottom of the page, the ESV footnote says, or... This is the whole duty of all mankind, which is the NIV. In other words, the ESV got it right. They just put the right one in the footnote instead of the other way around, in my humble estimation. Uh, This command applies to everyone. Now, that might sound strange to you because you might say, well, don't all commands apply to everyone? And the answer is no, they don't. Not in the Old Testament. I'll give you an example. Uh, in Deuteronomy, it says, this is kind of my paraphrase. If you're driving down the road and you see some roadkill, you're not allowed to take it home for dinner. <laughs> if you want to, you can take it home and sell it to a foreigner who's living near you. But you're not allowed to eat it. Now, 
That law is only given for one reason. And that's because people were tempted when they saw that roadkill to do what? To take it home and eat it. Uh, And so God says, no, you can't do that. You are allowed to sell it to somebody who's not an Israelite, and they're allowed to eat it, but you're not allowed to eat it. So you see, the command against eating roadkill doesn't apply to everybody. It only applies to God's people. But not this one. The command to fear God by keeping his commandments, this one applies to absolutely everyone. Now, how do you know that? That's the second reason. You see, you really don't have two reasons for fearing God. You have one reason for fearing God, and then you have another reason that shows you why that reason for fearing God is a reason you ought to take to heart. See, the second point is that God's going to bring every deed into judgment. And because he's going to bring every deed into judgment, doesn't matter who has done that deed, because he's bringing every deed into judgment, the command to fear God by keeping his commandments applies to everyone. Now, the prospect of coming judgment, not a common theme in our current Christian culture, the prospect of coming judgment in the book of Ecclesiastes should have kind of two beneficial effects in your life. See, we think of, oh, thinking about the coming of judgment, man, that's really negative. But it really is positive. It should have two positive roles played out in your life. One is that the prospect of coming judgment keeps you from despair. Ecclesiastes 8, 11, 13. When a crime doesn't go punished quickly, it tends to lead people to think that crime isn't punished. But Ecclesiastes says, I know that even if that happens, in the end, it is better for those who fear God. It'll be better for those who fear God. Don't despair. Perplexity, yes. Despair, no. You see, you might be perplexed about a lot of things that go on in this world. Um, Zach prayed about injustice. I mean, you don't have to watch much news to see the injustice that there is throughout the world, in our own in our own country, in our own communities. But every wrong is going to be righted. There is a day of judgment coming when in one way or another, God is going to put everything back into right order. And if you believe that, it doesn't eliminate all the perplexity, but it does keep you from just flat out giving up. It keeps you from despairing about things that have gone on in your own life where you have been the object of injustice and it's never yet been made right. And you don't see any hope of it being made right. You can know that the day is coming when God is going to make it right. So hold on and don't give up. You see, the prospect of judgment is not something that makes you shudder. It's something that gives you hope that the injustices in this world are one day going to be made right. 
which why Psalms like 96 and 98 say that, that the, the king is coming and he's going to judge the world in righteousness. And what it says right after that is all the trees are singing and shouting for joy and the rivers are clapping their hands. It's a grand celebration. Why? Because God's judgment means that God is coming to put everything back into right order. See, in the Old Testament, there's a difference between um, righteousness and justice. Righteousness is right order. Justice presumes that things that should be in one order have gotten out of order and they're not running the way God expected them to be. Justice is God putting everything back into right order. No wonder the creation is singing and shouting for joy at the prospect that God is coming to judge. The prospect of coming judgment keeps you from despair and the prospect of coming judgment keeps you from sin. Ecclesiastes 11.9. It's a a verse that we looked at briefly uh, in talking to the young people in the congregation, but it applies to all of us. Ecclesiastes 11.9. You who are young, be happy while you are young and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Live life with gusto. Live life with joy. Live life with satisfaction. But... Know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. There will be an accounting. And so the prospect of coming judgment is that fence around the yard. Remember we talked about that? If you have little kids and there's no fence and you live on a busy street, you never let them run with freedom. you got to hold on to them tightly. But if there's a big fence between where they're playing and the cars going by, you can let them run all over the place. And that's the function of God's law, one of the functions of God's law that we read this morning. It's that boundary. It's that don't go any further than this, which is what what the father is telling the son, having read the work of Kohelet along the way. My son, be warned of anything in addition. Be warned of going on the other side of the fence. So the law of God plays that wonderful role in our lives of setting the parameters. You see, you'll know the truth and the truth will not hinder you. The truth will not weigh you down. You'll know the truth and the truth will. It'll set you free. It lets you run all over the yard without worry, without fear, without apprehension. Because you know you're safe when you're living Inside the parameters, inside the boundaries that God's law sets. So let's just conclude our conclusion. To go back to the beginning, our first sermon, we said that what's going on in the book of Ecclesiastes is you have three parts. You have that introduction where somebody's talking about the preacher, the teacher, Mr. Kohelet. Then you've got the body of the book, which is the teaching of Mr. Kohelet. And then you've got the conclusion of the book where somebody, again, is talking about Mr. Kohelet. And who's doing the talking? Well, the person that's doing the talking uh, is the father. Uh, Notice that he says, um, not... Verse 12, be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. 
See, the father and the son had a long sit-down, and they read the teachings of Mr. Kohelet together. And in the end of the book, the father is kind of applying what they read together. It's kind of like mom and dad talking to the kids about the sermon uh, on the way home in the car. Uh, and uh, that's what's going on here at the end. The father is talking to the son, and, and he's expanding a little bit. He's saying, you know, Kohelet was right, my son, but there's a little bit more to it that I have to add to make sure it's crystal clear for you, and that is fear God by keeping his commandments, because this applies to everyone, and how do we know that? Because God's going to bring every deed into judgment. But, you know, the New Testament says the book of Ecclesiastes is right, but we've we've got to expand it a little bit more. Because the New Testament teaches us that, that the book of Ecclesiastes only gives us one perspective. Now, if you refer to me as a teacher, are you right? Yes. But is that all there is? Is that the totality of the truth about me? If you refer to me as a grandfather, by the way, I'm grand dude, I I think, although Joel's not talking yet, but we'll find out. And I won't go into the whole story as to why that might be the case. If you refer to me as grandfather, is that true? But you see, grandfather and teacher, they're both just perspectives on who I am. They're not the whole. And the teaching of Ecclesiastes is true, it's just not the whole truth. There's more to it than that. It only gives us one perspective, and the perspective is from under the sun. It's a limited perspective. And it says, from the perspective of under the sun, vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. But the New Testament says there's another perspective. And that perspective comes from a different vantage point. That perspective comes from Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. I think 1 Corinthians 15 is the longest chapter in the New Testament. If it's not, it's close. It's a contender. It's in the final three. Sometime I'll have to count. But at the end of that long chapter on the resurrection, do you know what Paul says? He says, brothers and sisters, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Even when life is perplexing, even when life is frustrating, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not what? It is not in vain. See, now which one is true? Vanity of vanities, it's all vanity, or it's not vanity? What am I? Am I a teacher or am I a grandfather? What is this? Bulletin? No, it's not a bulletin, it's paper. Which one is true? They're both true. There's not any conflict here. They're both complementary truths. And as the father says to the son, the teaching of Ecclesiastes is true, and I've got to expand it for you. 
The New Testament says the teaching of the book of Ecclesiastes is true from the perspective of under the sun, embrace it. And I've got to expand it for you from the perspective of the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead and so will you. And because of that, you can put your next foot forward in faith and obedience and you trust God for the rest. Let's pray. Father, we bless you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take this word and that you would encourage our hearts and that you would fill us with enough hope that we can go forward into the next week, knowing more about who you are, standing in greater awe of you, trusting you more deeply, and being more fully committed to walk in the path of the commands. Praying in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.